0: As we begin a new semester, we take on an interesting challenge here, and that is, what is really the purpose of the Book of Mormon? What did the authors themselves see as the purpose of the things that they were writing and the things that they wanted us, thousands of years later, to read and then understand about themselves, also about God? That matches actually with... What did the early fathers of the Christian church in the first couple of centuries after the death of Peter and Paul, what did they think? What did they believe about themselves? And what did they believe about God? All of these come together in a fascinating sort of way. Join us today for this fun class about the power and the purpose of mercy. (laughs) And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, Opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. We're now going to start here. And I will thank you for the purposes of the video. Put this on here, okay? And with that, we'll uh, let's go ahead and, and get rolling. Um, one of the things that that I wanted to do on on this, as we begin a uh, this is January, a new uh, semester, uh, and and what we're actually looking to do. Uh, again, I never like to kind of double on onto. Come follow me and what's going on. I like that we're doing something a little bit different because there's so many come follow me things. So we're going to kind of wrap up the Book of Mormon uh, probably within the next few weeks. It looks like we're skipping some stuff. We are. Uh, and then as we talked about we're going to get into uh, church history. I want to dive in especially with the Joseph Smith Papers availability and we're going to do church history. It uh, won't be necessarily Doctrine and Covenants as much as we're going to be doing church history. So, But I want to take just a second and kind of uh, go backwards a little bit just kind of, re- kind of cover what we have done over the last uh, semester. Um, and I, I want I want to point something out especially as you start looking anew at the at the new uh come follow me in Book of Mormon uh s- something that I noticed uh is actually I, I noticed it this morning uh, It was kind of interesting will you notice that uh from the death of the apostle paul uh, under Nero we think uh that there's 261 years until we get to the Council of Nicaea. Under Constantine. Under Constantine. And this is the moment that where Christianity had kind of been sitting out here as a separate thing and the empire was very pagan, very Roman. Uh, And then as we get closer and Constantine comes online, we think maybe his mom might have been the first one to convert. Uh, and, And now you watch this massive shift. And Council of Nicaea is one of those first councils where they're trying to figure out how do we integrate Christianity into a Roman pagan empire and start to turn all of our images and our way of looking at the world. And so based on that, what does God look like? What do the heavens look like? Who was Christ really? Uh, you know, and the son of God turns out not to be Augustine. It turns out to, you know, it turns out to be Jesus because we thought it was uh, Caesar and, you know. So they're, they're doing out. But for 261 years, we get the Christianity growing and developing against all odds. And so it's fascinating to go back and look at what they were believing in the first couple of hundred years. Uh, We had a a single adult fireside. We were talking about some of this uh, last night. Um, But then run it parallel with the fact that we get about 200 years uh, of Christianity running. And then we get, uh, and run that alongside, we get the Nephite vision visit uh, of Jesus Christ in 3rd Nephi and 4th Nephi. And then we get about 200 years uh, before they kind of fall apart, okay? Okay. And, and you almost, between the two, you get a similar experience going on here. One, where everybody's united, but here they are united, but in a very really hostile environment. But what are they teaching? And you find out that the similarities are close because of the way that the people were developing under both of them. We don't have as much knowledge here. Mormon is blowing through fourth Nephi. We get in what, seven verses? Uh, but we have more information here Uh, and uh, Cindy has been uh, uh, listening as I've kind of been trying to study and get a a sense of this but this gives you an idea, this is Dionysus uh, Christian writer in 260 AD he says, Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty uh, never sparing themselves and thinking only of Another. The thing that's interesting, he's writing at a time of a plague. There, there is a, uh, a plague that they're working with. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attended to their every need, and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease. Drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains, and then this, and I just th- this touched me. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Whew. Wow. Um, and I, I just kind of give you a sense of how what these what these. Uh, early people were thinking and, and 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 this kind of goes against the narrative that I grew up with hearing a lot when, when we talked about the great apostasy. It's like at the death of Peter and Paul, then the, the authority is lost and all kind of wheels come off until G- Joseph walks into the grove, <laughs> you know. And what we're seeing is that for hundreds of years, there were Christians doing amazing things. And what did they think? How did they see themselves? Uh, and and One of the things that you'll see is, is I've kind of broken down that part of how we know is by a group of five scholars uh, That are kind of lovingly called the Cappadocian Fathers. They come out of Cappadocia um, And the, the Cappadocian Fathers, I was, I was telling the, the singles last night. It's interesting. We had a uh, uh, prominent scholar uh, at Columbia, I think, who came out to BYU and he's studying, talking to some of the professors. And, and uh, one, of the, uh, one of the professors there at BYU took him out to dinner and he says, how come, why are you so interested in BYU and, and, and all this kind of stuff? And, and he says, it's the Cappadocian Fathers. He said, really, what is there about the Cappadocian Fathers? And he says, because I'm finding it in the writings of Joseph Smith. That <laughs> there's some similarities between what the Cappadocian Fathers were preaching early on in about in that first couple of hundred years, and you go, "Oh, okay." So here, what is it that they were teaching? Here's what, and they have a unique take on on the plan of salvation. This was this was some of their statements. God craved relationships. He created mankind and this earth as a divine nursery for those that he so that he could have a peer relationship with in the eternities. Is that cool? He created mankind and this earth as a divine nursery so that he could have peer relationships. He craves relationships. Okay? So if this is what the Cappadocian fathers were going, and he's seen this in writings of Joseph Smith. In a sense, it turns around some of the ways that we have sometimes framed kind of the plan of salvation. Um, and, and I thought I would kind of put it this way. See, it, see, see what you think about this. Especially as you, as you look at their writings. For, for the... We have a tendency, and, and Christianity, especially after Constantine and rolling through and we get through the Middle Ages, here was, here was their way of looking at the world. Uh, uh, for, for so much of Christianity, it was always about getting to heaven, focus on the laws, So that focus was always on salvation. You want to be saved. You got to be saved. You're to, how are you going to be saved? Uh, you got to be worthy. Now, part of all that being worthiness is who gets to determine it, and how much, and how much sin, and what do you do with sin? And okay, what do the scriptures really mean, especially about which ones are mean salvation, and when you're going to get scriptures wrong? Because if you get it wrong, then you know and then of course this rolls into the to the reformation where they go and the popes are wrong <laughs> so now the scriptures are going to be our pope and so the the script the popes thought they were infallible so now our scriptures have to be infallible so you never change a single word because they're the ones cuz the the scriptures are going to bring you salvation it's about salvation and it's about sin and and over the centuries they got caught up in in all of that that's not what is coming from the Cappadocian Fathers and the first couple of centuries of Christianity prior to that. What were they thinking? They weren't worried about getting to heaven. They were creating heaven. That's why if you go back to what we were just talking about, in the middle of of a scourge, in the middle of of uh, of all the problems they were having, they and their little ch- house churches were saying, "Heaven has now arrived. We're here, and we're going to live heaven among us." We, we're, we're, Christ said that, uh, uh, "Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom's coming to us, and we are going to be here. We're not worried about whether we make it to heaven or not. It's here. You join the body of Christ. You're now part of. We're in heaven. Now let's treat each other as as if we're here. Okay." How that feel so far?
1: Good.
0: Yeah, it' ought, right, right? So we're not worried about creating heaven. So where, where sometimes we get caught up in laws and, and obedience, what, what were they focused on if heaven's already here? yeah, Relationships. Yeah. Building relationships. The goal is relationships with Christ, relationships with each other. And that's where relationships were based on. <laughs> yeah. So, and and I don't think I put on here. So, if and under that case, why did why did Christ suffer and die on the cross? What would be his purpose for that? So that he could have a relationship with us. So that by, by joining the body of Christ, we, we enter a partnership with him to do what? Love and serve the world. And I think that's what we're hearing from President Nelson. We're getting this focus instead of trying to pull in and kind of be saved while the fire is going on out there. What you're hearing from President Nelson is... We've got to turn it around and go out. Our job is to heal a divided world. We're in partnership with Christ. To be peacemakers. To be peacemakers, yeah, yeah. Not what I was saying as a missionary back in the 70s. <laughs> they get you out of the flames before it's coming, man. They're going to burn the sheets. <laughs> You're not the believing blood let's get you in here drag you in here save you before the fire comes and if you're not listening well, you're not one of them so you got to so move on to the next guy and we got to get you in here quickly you know and do all that and, and he's saying no our job because what's that gonna because that's, that's going to save you from the burning that those who aren't paying their tithing they're going up in flames yeah. <laughs> me good <laughs> them toast <laughs> yeah okay. Um, so so the focus there for them was on on relationships which which and we say well look at our divided world okay in that first couple of centuries in Christ who's sitting in a little house church in Ephesus or Caesarea Philippi Wh- who's sitting there what kinds of people Greeks Gentiles. Jews slaves women, you know. <laughs> you got all these guys that, uh, Romans, really? And let's eat. <laughs> and, and, and so you have this, contrary to what's going on in, in Roman society, this is a unique thing that just says, heaven has arrived at this spot, and when we walk in, and by the way, half of these house churches were run by women. So, to have to, is turning the whole structure upside down. It's about building relationships. That's what, that's what their focus was on. Okay? Uh, so, the focus, instead of on being worthy, the focus was serving. 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 Loving. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they were non judgmental, and I, that's incredibly important. Instead of telling people what they deserve and all of that, they were giving them what they needed. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, they weren't forgiving them because there was nothing to forgive. That's right. Them, and they understood
0: that. Because my job is not, is, is actually not even so much to forgive you as much as it is to heal you. Like you said, what do you need? Let's figure out where you are, what your circumstance is. Let's bring you in. Well, I'm a slave. Well, what do you need? You need to know that you're loved. You need to know that you have some status here. You need to know that... You need- yeah, we, yeah. And, and I think a lot of times they came in, in those settings. We, set, we have those series of letters with Paul.
1: My understanding is that uh, the Cappadocians were represented in the Nicaea.
0: Yeah, they got and shouted. They yeah, they were shot. In some cases, uh, Daniel Peterson has talked about how as they were trying to get up to Nicaea to that conference, they were blocking their ships. Right. The, there was an all-out... Battle uh, the, there with Athanasius and all kinds of stuff to try. It was, and because we think about the Council of Nicaea as like 12 guys sitting around and they're having a discussion. No, it was like, it was like the Democratic National Convention, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was all the different people with their views of things, and then you're going to take a vote and see who wins yeah. out.
1: So they were actually killing people in parts of the Roman Empire for what they were rewarding people for, and other parts, and there was so much confusion. Yeah. council
0: Yeah, trying to standardize things if they can't, if they can't, if we can get a standardization, we're gonna, we get the correlation committee here. We'll, we'll standardize things. Yeah.
2: Well, <clears throat> bringing it to present day, it seems like we're kind of halfway in between that. because I think we are. We're, uh, focusing on relationships, we do that within our own circle. We're, we're not very good at extending ourselves yet.
0: Home teaching. Ministering. And, and, and we're halfway in between going, well, we don't know how to do that. Well, and, and am I going to do my ministering if we're not going to count numbers at the end of the month?
2: Well, I was thinking more in terms of member, non-member. Oh, I, oh. We, we don't we don't extend ourselves to build relationships very well.
0: With how much how much work are we doing on interfaith councils now? Pardon? How much work is the church doing even locally on interfaith councils? Yeah, yeah. The uh, <laughs> I, I, I will tell a little bit uh, again, but. Men invited me to speak to the singles last night and, and the state pre- state presidency, bless their heart, came and says, the, thank you for coming and speaking to this fireside. There was a possibility of you or a rabbi. <laughs> and we're trying to decide. And, I, and I'm like, no, the rabbi would be, would be cool. I'd love to get the rabbi in here. In fact, I'll go back if the rabbi's showing up because you know, right? Okay, but we're just saying we don't, we want to make sure this interfaith thing is a is cranking up and, I, and, and President Nelson is leading the charge on this, yeah
3: my sister lives in Lehigh mm-hmm. and what she proposed was doing an interfaith Christmas thing she asked me about our
0: yeah. activity
3: things here and based it on, on that and uh, was looking for a place to do it and asking mostly non-members and members to invite non-members which, in Utah, a lot of people are saying, oh, I don't know any non-members.
0: <laughs> and they may not.
3: And, you know, because they've had in Lehi. Expanded, You know, Lehi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She says in her ward, there's maybe 10 houses that
0: aren't
3: members. <laughs> yeah. But um, she actually got talking to the state president, and one of the counselors worked with her, and they held an interstate Christmas council, or Christmas event, at their stake center, there we and go. She was in charge of. Had choirs come in from other churches, speakers, even the prayers were offered by, by somebody God members and other people. She
4: she got some resistance
0: though. She yeah, she, she would get some resistance, resistance. Yeah,
3: but she had the state pres. Oh, she got a lot of resistance. But she had the state <laughs> presidency behind her. And it
0: turned out very well. One of, the, one of the more touching, a few years ago, one of the more touching things I've ever been at, we happened to, Cindy and I ran up to Nauvoo and we ran up like Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, and while we were there, they said, oh, by the way, uh, at the, at the, it's before they built, uh, tore down the, uh, the, the church area there, they said, we're having a Messiah sing along. You want, and we go ah we 'll show up to the Messiah sing along in Nauvoo. This sounds really cool and and, and then they said and, and our soloist will be from Carthage, and our other soloist is going to be from warsaw and i 'm thinking my church history, I know where those mobs came from <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know and and they were having these people are coming from all over the place, and it was just like suddenly our voices were all coming together because most of those weren 't going to be members Brent yeah you know. I'
2: just going to say yeah. Uh, my son, who lives out in Oklahoma, had an experience a month ago that I think was classic and kind of shows where we're at with the church. The missionaries there were teaching them a, a good sister, and the last discussion before her baptism, uh, my son was there with the missionaries. And the husband came in the first time he paid any attention to the discussions. Would you have time for a few questions? Well, certainly. He says, I'm just wondering, does your church allow members of your church to be married to those that are not in your church. And they had to talk and explain Yes, and mm-hmm. that was okay. He said, well, thank you. He says, I was just wondering, if my wife joined your church, do I have to get a divorce and move into the garage? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and throw out the coffee pot. <laughs> now, the nice part of that story is this man was baptized yesterday. Oh, oh that's cool. Yeah, that sometimes, and, and, and isn't that cool? So, I uh, if our, if our focus is on relationships and the focus of the fact that Christ wants to have a relationship with us to be involved in healing people around us wherever, whatever their circumstances might be, I think it, it changes. Uh, and so the focus was not so much on being worthy and making heaven. The, word, the focus for them was being, allowing Christ to transform us into the people that could be comfortable living with God.
1: That's what the word salvation is. Change, the, right? It's a healing process.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so this kind of this higher holier way that they were that they were trying to to work on. Now I think it's interesting then oh. So so then there's one other question then, that if this is the case, the scriptures aren't so much trying to figure out the knowledge and, and parse it out as much as what do the scriptures then impel me to do? The scriptures and the Book of Mormon should be a call to action rather than just a call to gain more knowledge. If that's true, then this afternoon I... Yeah?
5: The uh, As I have been told, uh, President Nelson sent out a, a statement that uh, we were in each ward, we were supposed to have greeters assigned because we, the missionaries, are bringing the uh, investigators, but they aren't being made welcome. And uh, so they want two greeters assigned to each ward.
0: As a, as a ward missionary, two greet. Be friendly. And, I, and I, I think you got called to do that, didn't you? All right. I, I would want you welcoming people into our ward. Yeah.
5: When you said like, focus on the law, that's the commandments. Right? Right. I have heard, I know of people who have left the church because they have someone in their family that's not living,
0: uh, you know, mm-hmm.
5: something, and they well, I love my... Person, I love them. So, and the church has said this is a sin, or you can't do this, or you should follow mm-hmm. I, And then we hear, oh, you're supposed to love these people. I think love is a requirement. It doesn't matter.
0: It isn't love a requirement.
5: It's, it, it's not, it uh, doesn't matter what they do. I knew of a sister many years ago in the DeSoto ward who had a brother who was in prison. Mm-hmm. A very righteous sister. She went and visited him. Yeah. She came into the bookstore that I worked in then and had books sent to him. But I don't think she was condoning his behavior. No? And I don't understand why, say, well, you're supposed to love it. Of course, we're supposed to have why can't you understand that the two things can work
0: together? Well, yeah, because sometimes, when sometimes people start looking at this and say, well, love means just let them do whatever they want to do. No, we're not saying that. I don't think God says there are consequences to our action. And sometimes the most enabling people, when you enable, that's not love. That's just enabling somebody. So how do do you love somebody regardless and still recognize that there might be I might, I might still love somebody, but they still might need to go to jail, <laughs> you know. Um, so I, I, think, I, think that's, I think that's the challenge, and I think that's the struggle. And, and the question we should be asking, is, especially this year looking at the Book of Mormon, if that's what they were doing, then, then what am I supposed to do? Where do I go from here? Especially, we were talking before the, the break about the fact that so much of the Book of Mormon is about a law of Moses' people who were very obedience-driven because that's where they were. They, Christ had not yet come. That's why I'm trying to set this up ahead of starting to look at Third Nephi because what Christ is going to come and bring where, where Nephite society couldn't stay good for about five minutes... <laughs> Christ comes and turns everything on its head and suddenly now for 200 years there's a different way of thinking and it works and it didn't work prior to that and I think that's because most of it was here yeah Jim
4: yeah so originally in the Old Testament times mostly from Moses and mm-hmm. later the law was the law of performances yep okay you do this you do that
0: you don't do that we, we stone you <laughs>
4: Then Christ comes, and the law of performances is fulfilled, and now we have the law of the gospel, which is substantially can be found in things like uh, the Beatitudes. Oh yeah. Things like yeah,
0: that. yes. Um, yep.
4: And then we have people who study the New Testament, and they decide to go after doctrine. Okay, well, if you look at the way the New Testament was dispensed by prophets, seers and revelators, they sent letters to people that had a homogenous culture and they taught them principles that would help them grow from where their culture was to where it should be. Yeah. And so... Uh, a book that was sent, or a letter that was sent to one people would have principles or doctrine in it. And they wouldn't send them all the doctrine, the fullness of the doctrine. And then they'd send other cultures a different set of doctrine because they had different problems. And so that, for the first hundred years or so after Christ died, that was the kind of scripture... And these communities only had perhaps...
0: A couple of scrolls. Two books out of the Testament. Yeah, yeah. Or
4: something like that. They didn't have the four Gospels yet Hmm. because those were written kind of later.
0: They had a lot of oral traditions of what they had heard that... Yeah?
4: so when they... There was a need. A lot of us think about this Nicene Creed and we think, Oh, the Christians, they just fell apart. Yeah. Well, no, they, they started apart, and, and they were each given a little bit of instruction for where they were and yeah. where they could grow. And now at at Nicaea, they're trying to homogenize trying to, trying to standardize and trying this it all together, and and uh, um Const- in, in, in
0: a Roman sort of way with a Roman well, style to that. Yeah,
4: Constantine told the Christians you guys need to figure out what you believe yeah. because they, the, the church at that time was as, as you pointed out it was quite principle based yeah. rather than doctrine based yeah. And, yeah. and principles actually are better to work
0: on yeah. than doctrine <laughs> Yeah, yeah but it's still going to be subject to how our particular congregation is going to take that principle and I guess where sometimes the wrestle is here right? So that's why I say, what do the scriptures impel me to do based on the principle? How do, what does that look like this afternoon? Yeah,
5: I
1: think there's a very, very different uh, perspective on law, you know, from the Romans and the pre-Christians, and that the law was something you used to put people in jail with. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, and also. Yes. Property and stuff like that, but it was it was for punishment purposes. But the law that Christ spoke of. Was more towards happiness. You know, wickedness never was happiness. Yeah, there's a
0: difference in and mentality there, and I think that that's. uh, Yeah, and that's why we can spend a lot of time on. If you break the law, then you need to do penance, and and how that has translated to certain extent into the way that we look at. Well, I need to do re penance. I need to repay. There needs to be a pen. There was a penalty broken. I got to pay it kind of thing rather than the principle says how about I nail? how about I turn around and change yes. and, and, and allow Christ to transform and change me So, um, alright so l- 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 let me point out one other thing that I thought was uh, really interesting if somebody got, well let's see, did I put it here I put it here, oh you won't have to go look up look at First Nephi 1 you're going to find something between uh, in First Nephi 1 uh, Nephi says Behold, this is like verse 15. I will show you that what the tender mercies of the Lord are on all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith to make them power unto the mighty unto the power of deliverance. So what is it that he's wanting to emphasize as you read the Book of Mormon? I will show you what tender the tender mercies. I need you to see the tender mercies of the Lord. Okay? Now, there's a bookend thing that happens here. Look in the very last chapter of the Book of Mormon. What do you find? The very last chapter. Moroni 10. I would exhort you that when you shall read these things, including the words of Nephi, if it should be wisdom in God that you should read them, that what? Ye would remember what? What? How merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men. And he does an interesting thing. From the creation of Adam, what's the day today? 17th, right? So this is, this is January 17th,
4: 2024.
5: 27. 27
0: in the past. 22nd. 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 Yeah, oh, it's the 22nd. That was last week. Twenty yeah. first. <laughs> 22nd. So let's say that you sit down today and you read the Book of Mormon. Maybe even for the first time. And he's going to say, I need you to remember how merciful the Lord has been to the children of men from the creation of Adam right down until January 22nd, 2024. At this moment, you then become the last moment at that moment that am I trying to figure out whether this is true or false? He's going, no, don't look. First, look at what? How merciful the Lord has been unto the children of men. And I don't think we stop and read the Book of Mormon and go, let me pray about how merciful God is. And he says, that's what I want you to do. And so we get this book ending in the Book of Mormon of saying, I want you to start off. My purpose is, I need you to see the tender mercies. And then Moroni says, I would that you should remember how merciful because one of the main purposes of the Book of Mormon is to teach us what? How merciful God is. Isn't that, isn't that cool? And, I, and so, in a way, Roni is saying, did we do it? Did we prove in our writings Nephi, Jacob, Alma, Helaman, Samuel the Lamanite, did we do it? Did we did we show you how merciful God is? And you go, yeah, but that was that destruction of Zarahemla and stuff. Okay, there's a cutting off of Laban's head. You, know. and you go, Okay, those are things that we have, that the Book of Mormon should impel us to have to struggle and wrestle with. Because the main purpose is let's figure out how merciful God is. Okay? Um, and I just think that the Book of Mormon nicely bookends the idea of mercy in the book of Mormon yeah do
2: you think that Nephi in the first chapter the way that is phrased is it exclusive uh, is Lord only extending those tender mercies to those that he has chosen because of their faith
0: ah, ah. because that's how that would be a, certainly a way to read it
2: Yeah, but I don't think that that is the case. The tender mercies are extended to all of God's children.
0: If you're you're back looking at it from this, wouldn't that make sense? Wouldn't you have a tendency to read, well, he's merciful to those that keep the commandments and he's going to rain blood and horror on everybody else.
4: I don't think the two are exclusive, though. I I think he can be merciful to those who he's chosen because of their faith, and he can still be merciful
0: to the wicked. Yeah, because well, think about because
4: different kind of
0: mercy. Yeah, because let's say that you say, okay, I'm I'm many are called, but few are chosen. Chosen to do what? (coughs) Love and serve and heal the world <laughs> you know it's a, it isn't like I'm chosen it's like okay now I get to sit on the chosen king throne and glory in my chosenness <laughs> so the, the savior by his life says I was chosen to be the, the, the son of God and and what I did is I came to earth and I suffered and I bled and I died
1: and doctrine and covenant is for
0: it. who are the chosen besides who have a desire you know, I- to, if you have the desire to Serve God, you are called to the work, right? Yeah.
1: But it's not limited to serving God. In fact, it has nothing to do with God after all of a sudden. What it has to do is those people who want to make the world a better place. That's right. Life, who are gracious and long-suffering
0: and who are merciful. Yeah. Because if I'm going to understand that this is, if the Book of Mormon is about mercy, then what it, what, what does the book impel me to do? Does the, is, the book, is the book like one author said is the book of Mormon a, a list of categories or is it a catalyst to action and if we're doing that then he's merciful my job is to take mercy into a struggling world and try and do what I can
2: because we are trying to change our personal character to be like Christ.
0: Yeah, and I'm now doing what he would do, and he's not here in, in person, but if I'm part of the body of Christ, then I'm now supposed to be, extend that mercy. And then he says, so yeah, now go, and the hardest thing he'd ever ask of us, okay, great, go love your enemies. I love my family. (laughs) You know, no, love your enemies. No, they're not deserving. Oh no, it's what they need, right? (laughs) It's not what they deserve. It's uh, okay. All right. Um, So if that's if that's the case, uh, so this is kind of the big lead up. Then uh, that I want kind of uh, this week, and we'll see how far we get. All of this says, what did Jesus teach and what did Jesus do when he came to the Nephites? what, what is? And, and the first thing he does after he sets up the baptism and stuff like that, the first thing he does is?
4: Blesses and heals. Yeah, well, here, away
0: we go. We're going to get now the sermon at the temple. He's going to go back and do the whole sermon on the mount thing. Cindy and I were back looking at the... Um, we are watching the chosen over again and the the, uh, Sermon on the Mount uh, as he's doing just beautiful stuff right Um, and 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 so I I need you to see as as Jesus is coming first of all let's set the timing on this because I think sometimes we misunderstood uh, what happens in 3rd Nephi 3rd Nephi 8 is going to say uh and it came to pass that in the 30 and 4th year in the first month on the 4th day of the month there arose a great storm such as one had never been known in the land now that actually correlates uh, what would be happening in in Israel on the 34th year on the first month but, but, but what's happening as far as all of Israel Passover P- Pesach Pesach is done on the first it's the first month of Ovid it's, it's the first Passover so it lines it lines up okay that makes sense it should be most likely so why are they at the temple Probably because they're celebrating Passover. If they're, still, if they're still doing that kind of thing. So those not celebrating Passover probably going to a football game and those that are celebrating Passover have made it to the temple and they're probably doing what they're supposed to do, right? At the temple in Bountiful. Does that make sense? Okay, now. Hop over to 3 Nephi 10. He's going to tell us and it came to pass that in the ending of the thirty and fourth year I will show unto you that soon after the ascension of Christ into heaven he manifest himself unto them, showing his body unto them and ministering unto them. When did he do that? That's right. But when? What what is this suggesting? A year later is what, it, is what it suggests. That's certainly one way you could certainly read that. Okay? That the storm starts in the 30 and 4th year in the first month. And this, this would tend to suggest that the ascension of Christ happens at the end of the 34th year. Meaning the beginning of the 35th year. Okay, so can you put that in? So let's say that that's true, and it sure seems to suggest that. Because we have had one of these narratives that we tend to have is that it's all immediate. You know, they're at the temple. The storm shows up. Even the even the Book of Mormon movie. You know, the buildings are still torn down, and everybody's still bleeding and then and then the and then the clouds break and then a man starts descending from heaven okay that's been kind of our narrative what's this suggesting it's a, at, what happens after the storm breaks they go home
3: and try to rebuild
0: and try to rebuild and they spend and they spend a year trying to heal and understand what happened and bury their dead That there is a year-long, I would imagine, a year-long mourning for. Wow, Zarahemla is a smoldering wreck. Yeah.
3: I don't think that it just suggests it. I think if you read it carefully, you'll, you'll find it.
0: Yeah, it's there. So what's happening? So, so, so think about very carefully here. So. What's going on in Israel and, and uh, among these people during that first week? Passover. Passover. Why are they back at the temple a year later? They're celebrating what? Passover. Passover. Who got passed over? Oh, yeah. You get that? Isn't that cool? That they're celebrating, we're mourning those that were lost, but we're, we have some gratitude that somehow we were passed over while so many others died. And I would think that they would be at the temple celebrating Passover. Well, and
5: they're also marveling at all of the changes that yeah
0: the re, the rebuilding that's that's happened and and all of that. It's got to be a vastly different. Society with all the cities that were drowned and, and all that kind of thing. Much smaller group. I mean, it's just, they're marveling and they're coming back at Passover to celebrate that they're still alive. And that's the moment that then they hear a voice in the middle, probably, of that celebration. Does that, does that make sense? How to change the context a bit, yeah.
5: So when does
0: the praying Nephi praying on the tower in this context? Is that that was you know about the fact that Christ is about to be born? Yeah. Oh, born. Sorry, born. About thirty-four years earlier, and and Nephi praying on the tower and and the the judge being that's that's about thirty years. Before that, I think. Yeah.
3: So my question, because I don't understand stuff quite as clearly, is that after he died and he was resurrected, that right. it was a year before he came back.
0: Yes.
2: So he was in with so,
0: his father
6: for a year yeah. before. Right. So
0: all the stuff Apparently.
6: he prior to
3: that happened in Jerusalem time. Mm-hmm. And then when he ascended from there, right. then it was a year.
0: Yeah.
4: Uh, close Well.
0: Y- yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so m- most likely. So he's busy. He's busy. Um,
4: so,
5: however
3: long that took <coughs> between the time he, you know, after the.
0: I know. Yeah.
3: On the Earth
0: and then the. Yeah, yeah. W- w- which is interesting because because uh, when uh, th- this last summer, uh, when C- Cindy and I were in uh, Peru and we went to we went to church in uh, um, Cusco. Cusco went to a sacrament meeting in Cusco. One of, the, one of the guys there that has been kind of a guide says, can I talk to your group after, like, second hour? He said, sure. So we finished with sacrament meetings, a ward conference and stuff like that. So we go back to a Sunday school room in his chapel in Cusco, and he goes, okay, let me make my case for why the Book of Mormon happened here. <laughs> <laughs> And he had a list of about twenty or thirty things, and he had me believing by the time I got done. Now, I still think my own belief is I'm not a Heartlander. I still think, I still think it happened somewhere in the Yucatan, stuff like that. But boy, did they have proof that say if if the, if the Book of Mormon didn't happen here, it happened again here, because <laughs> there was an awful lot of stuff. Uh, could he have gone there before he came to the Yucatan? Might have because they're talking about hey this white god came out of out of uh, like Kitakaka, and he's coming in here and he did here with fine twine linen and all these kind of stuff and told us how to do this and make sure to be peaceful love one another Uh, and and then he says and then he left on the sea and he says I'm on my way to the islands of the sea see ya and off, off he goes pretty cool okay so there might have been a lot of other things he could have done during that year who knows what the timing might be Wendy
2: um, I was just
3: thinking about that year to transform to repent and to search the scriptures and to realize that Samuel the Lamanite's prophecies came true
0: all of them um, Yeah.
3: and to become a holier people and then the Savior comes back in a year
0: yeah it would have been a, a, a great chance to spend that year in reflection and everything. And then I just love the idea of coming back to Passover. Yeah. I'm
5: kind of like Cindy. My mind just going over <laughs> a bit. But in Jerusalem, we know that Christ, the, the whole scenario with doubting Thomas, well, mm-hmm. Thomas. always gives that title. Yeah, he does. But, you know, that happened, if I remember it, something like 40 days or something. In other words, he's kind of coming and going. He is.
0: Yeah, there's about a 40-day ministry on and off.
5: Yeah, and so I'm like thinking, what is, gosh, what has he been doing in that whole oh, year time frame? I think he's still ministering to the Jews.
0: To a degree, easily could have. Going
5: back and forth between.
0: Well, and there were other tribes of Israel that needed to be. Uh, I, I think he's. I think he's just doing what he did, which is minister. Yeah.
5: And he's also setting
3: up the teaching of the gospel. To the
0: yeah, he's setting up his missionary force, in in, yeah. And
3: and John is there preparing them. Mm-hmm.
0: to receive Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Huh. All right. So now, let's do this. So what exactly does he do then? Um, I want to hop out of this for a sec. Go to... All right. Because I think this is one of the more amazing uh, moments here. I think, to me, it's almost the highlight of the entire Book of Mormon. I could say what 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 chapter is the peak in the entire book of Mormon? It's this one. We tend to look at chapter eleven. I think it's seventeen. I
5: like
0: both. Twelve's pretty good too. I like both.
5: Of
0: yes, a yes, of yeah. Okay, now isn't it interesting. So so he does the whole sermon on the mount. He preaches a lot, uh, and and uh, he looks about and he goes. My time's at hand, and I kind of perceive that you guys are a little weak here. Why? How come I can't get that to. Uh... We'll do it that way. Yeah, now it'll move. My time's at hand, I perceive you're weak, you can't understand all my words. Why? Because our brains still blown, <laughs> you know, we've had, we've been up, we've seen him come down, we touched him, we've been experiencing, we've been taught all of these things. Therefore, go in your hearts and ponder what I've said, and ask the Father in my name that you may understand it, and prepare your minds uh, for the tomorrow, and come back again. Okay, we do that. Okay. Now, and I go into the Father, and I show myself. Unto the lost tribes of Israel, for they're not lost in the father. So apparently he goes to the lost tribes after, I guess, the Nephites. Okay. Now, <laughs> again, I, I was picturing this. the night. I, last night, somehow we have at, the, at my house this, uh, usually if I'm going to sit down and, and eat dinner, I, I've got a big easy chair that I sit and eat, and we'll kind of watch a show or something like that. Okay. Which puts me down a comfortable chair with a plate of food. Okay, usually sitting on my knee is our black lab,
1: <laughs>
0: who just sits there and he'll put his dro- or her drooling mouth on my knee. I've got all these knees with water spots from dog drool, <laughs> and she'll just look at me. <laughs> She's just waiting intently. Because usually I get done eating, there's a little bit left on the food, stuff like that, and I'll put the plate on the floor and she'll lick the heck out of this plate. She cleans every plate clean before it ever goes in the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> but all of my knees have these water spots on f- from this dog who just, literally will just be drooling. Because okay? she she's a lab, they do those kind of things. Yeah, Right? And, I, and I'm, as I'm looking into her eyes, I can't help when I read this, I, I see the same look. <laughs> and it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken, he cast his eyes round about, and they were in tears, and they did look steadfastly upon him. See the look? <laughs> uh, and he'd asked them to tarry a little bit longer. Don't go. Don't. Stay. Stay. Please. <laughs> Don't. Okay. Um, now, Does God change his mind? (laughs) Can God change his mind? Will God change his mind? Is he planning on one course of action and then we can maybe persuade him? I mean, our our omniscience, I mean, we want to say, no, he knew everything that would happen and he knew that you would ask. You just had to be able to ask because he was planning on it anyway. And I suppose that could be true. But you certainly get a sense that he says, "Okay, the plan is—you look, guys, re- look really tired. I'll go, come back. We'll start mañana. It will be good." And that they were able to persuade him to not to change his plan a little bit here.
4: So the scriptures tell us that all things are present.
0: Yeah, I know.
4: And so some people <laughs> interpret that I know. that God is like sitting here at this table. And he can just stick his hand into the past or his other hand into the future. Mm -hmm. That's not the way I interpret it. The way I interpret it is he can review the past and he can anticipate the future, but he lives purposefully in the present. And I don't interpret it that when he anticipates the future that he gets every detail... Uh, exactly the way it's going to happen and so he was anticipating what he was going to do and just like he was anticipating the the lady that asked him to heal her uh, daughter and he, you know will uh, give the you know food to the dogs and so he he lives in the present but he does have plans yeah. and his plans uh change as the situation changes.
0: Sure, and because there's a dangerous da- downside to the other way of thinking, that if he knows everything, then he knows that somebody's going to molest my daughter. Well, he, or he knows, it. and, I, co- and I, should be, I should know ahead of time to prevent
4: that. He wants us to live in the present too. He <laughs> wants us to review the past, anticipate the future, but all things are present before us. We should work on what we can...
0: See. And, and, and sometimes in our actions.
4: We can't do anything
0: in the future or
3: the past. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like thinking about it that, um, you know, God is... You know, if we think about God's very best at everything, right? All of the qualities we mm-hmm. could ever possibly want to to be and do and have. He, she, they encompass all of those things. And... um if that's the case then God doesn't have a fragile ego, <laughs> you
5: know
0: and so <laughs> no God I don't think
3: can, so um uh except the fact that people we you know may express things to them and they could take that as new information or maybe not new information maybe that's not great way to say that but like um Allow
0: their perspective to change. Sure, yeah, in, in fact, um, I, I loved. Uh, I was listening to a, a talk by uh, Stephen Peck, who's a BYU professor of geology at, at BYU, and and he and he talks pretty eloquently about the fact that in, in kind of believing that God uses evolution in in some way, and and says, I think God can be surprised, <laughs> you know, that he, he anticipates we're probably going to do something, and then we do it even better than. He thought we would. That, that's really cool. That's, that would be a, a God that would enjoy the future rather than saying Ki- people are just puppets and I know exactly everything. So it's watching the same rerun over and over because I always know what's going to happen. I, th- I like the God that's going to be surprised and sometimes that means disappointed. Remember? J- Jesus saying at Passover, you guys will leave me, but my Father will never leave me. My Father will never leave me. Then what do we hear on the cross? Eloi, Eloi, Lama sabak thani. Papa, where'd you go? You know, I just told him yesterday that I didn't think you would leave, and apparently, you can. John writes that, that the word that in Greek that John uses is betrayal. He, that there's a sense of betrayal at that which is an interesting thought. Yeah. I keep thinking about the tragedies
5: that happened to these people a year before.
0: Yeah. It happened to everybody. Yeah.
5: Everybody, I'm sure, had had something that really changed their life completely. Lost loved ones, their property, whatever. Everybody was equal in that sense.
0: Yeah.
5: And so, a year later, I wonder if he had come right away or come with before any of that happened, if he would have had the same response. Laman and Lemuel saw an angel.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
5: It was, a, it was more than I think they, they the population.
0: They, they came a year later. They came a year later to, to uh, kind of with humble hearts, probably and really ready to hear. Um, yeah, because guess what? For these guys, if if this was Passover, the one thing that he'll tell him at the end of this speech is now go and tell your friends. And it says afterwards they'll spend like all night going to people. That still didn't come. <laughs> They're probably still building. I, I would go to Passover, but we're still building our house here. The the contractor's coming tomorrow. We can't go. <laughs> and and then there's people traveling all night long to, to come to him and saying, You cannot believe what happened to Bountiful yesterday. You gotta come. What? <laughs> he came. We missed it. I know, but he, he's come back tomorrow. So, a good yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. So I like the idea that that we get this this thing that that happens here. Um, he looks steadfastly now. He sticks around, and now what happens? Oh, yeah, yeah, Jess?
6: Um I I think part of the thing about God not knowing everything that will happen. I, I don't. Know, to me, part of the difference is that we're talking about Christ and not
0: Elohim, yeah. and you wonder if Elohim knows.
6: Yeah, I don't. I, I I think that Elohim probably does know, but like Jesus Christ, um, especially while he was mm-hmm. you know before he died. Yeah. Um, I, I like how the chosen portrays him. At um, uh, one point in the early episode, he's like, "Oh yeah, I was a clumsy teenager <laughs> who knocked over a vase or something." Um, and if he knew everything at that point in his life, he wouldn't have not, he, he wouldn't have been a <laughs> clumsy teenager. Um, but he,
0: he would have known his voice was about to change. Yeah,
6: you know. and so at this point. <laughs> um, at, at, at this point, he has been resurrected, but he um, probably didn't have like every piece of knowledge about everything on the earth. Yeah, yet, yeah. About everything that will happen, <coughs> and it really just depends on what God would allow.
0: I I, I believe that absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we know that even you know, Jesus Christ doesn't even know
5: when he's going to come again, right? Sure. Yeah, no, no, I don't even know. He will have to change plans when that happens. Sure. <laughs> well, and, and
0: notice. <laughs> maybe, right?
4: This, this is the new one on me that Jesus doesn't know when he's coming.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, well, at least at that moment in, in talking, it says, "I don't even." Not even the angels know. When I'm coming he doesn't back, doesn't
4: know the day or the hour.
0: Yeah, he just knows the season. You get bad enough.
4: I always thought that we don't know, it, but that Jesus Himself does
0: At least at that moment when He's talking, he said He said He didn't know. Now does He know? Does, does He know now? I I don't know, but I do think that's interesting here. That this whole thing pivots. I'm leaving. I'm going. You guys look tired. Puppy dog looks. <laughs> And he and they asked if he would take, and so he says, "Behold, my bowels are filled with compassion." Uh, I, I talk to sometimes about like trusting your gut. That I think inspiration comes to our heart. That might be the best way that maybe the scriptures can define our bowels. I mean, I don't think like it's his stomach is filled with happy. <laughs> I think it's a you, you feel love and you feel because what was happening with them is I would say their bowels were filled with longing <laughs> their bowels were filled with love and towards him and he says I'm going to match that with wow you, you're affecting me you're I feel what you guys need I sense that need uh, and then he says you know what do you have any sick among you Oh, I, I could have maybe done this tomorrow but man uh, I'll tell you what change of plans do you get any sick bring them, bring them and I will heal them for I have compassion upon you my bowels are filled with mercy yeah I
2: find it very interesting that we've had quite a long discussion here about the foreknowledge of, of, of God when on the other hand we we Teach and we've experienced that god supports us and has compassion towards us and is a comfort to us and everything and that's just an example of how he just changed his schedule a little it just it's not a big deal
0: i can see i can see that you need this now right i can see that you need this now
2: and, and hopefully that's how he interacts with us personally when we have special needs.
0: Yeah, I remember, um, and, and maybe I'll, I'll wrap up with this because because the second half of this, I, I'm going I want to pour this into next week uh, and kind of finish this discussion up because I think something very profound happens uh, at this net. What comes next? But but let me kind of finish with this. Do you remember the story from uh, that Thomas Monson told? Uh, and I, I remember it's so actually in. I was actually sitting in the tabernacle, I think, when he told this years ago, but he talked about the fact that he, uh, and and I'm not, some of you guys know the story much better than, yes, yeah, that he was was a visiting authority, right, (laughs) to a state conference. Something like, so, something like that, and do you remember, Jim, uh, the the, yeah, the circumstances I mean, behind you know, that? I
4: have a take on it too. <laughs> he was he was in a meeting. He was inspired that he should go and visit uh, an old widow in his in the hospital. The, right. In his, he was a bishop, I think. Oh, okay. It was a stake oh,
0: okay. And uh, I've got another story, but okay, go.
4: And he went, at, at, finally, at the end of the meeting, before maybe the prayer. He got up and left and went to see her, and she'd already passed. And so he learned from that, that he shouldn't uh, yeah. ignore a prompting of the Spirit. But to me, God, it would have been a small thing for God to allow that woman to linger, and yeah. to comfort her if she was in pain. Yeah, And so, The important part of that transaction was not that she passed. It was that Thomas Monson learned to pay attention to the promptings that he got.
0: And act on it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm remembering the other one in general conference. Because I think that one happened as well. There's another one where he's out as an apostle. And he's sitting in a state conference and gets up and he feels prompted there's a girl that he needs to go administer to. And so he turns to the state president and says, you got this. i, I got to go. <laughs> Gone. And I was sitting in the tabernacle when he says, and she's here today. <laughs> he, he points up and she's sitting uh, up to his, what would be his right up there on the first row, uh, up right to sit. When I'd go to conference, I'd sit in that same place in the tabernacle. And he goes, and she's here today. <laughs> you know. And so I think he learned probably from that experience, Tim. To, i got to add.
4: We, we need to look at the tape to see whether when he pointed, if he had to correct his <laughs>
5: <opinion>.
0: <laughs> which, one, which one is it? <laughs> which one is she? Yeah. I think there's another. I
5: just thought of this. Yes, the Savior was very compassionate to them and he changed his
0: schedule away. Right, right. Right believed and
5: had faith in him, and they wanted these blessings.
0: Yes, and, and their desire brought incredible healing.
5: It brings N- back to for, that part of Nephi. They had the faith, it enabled them to, uh, for the hope of deliverance. I'm not kind of can never quote scriptures. Yeah. And so I think there's two parts to this.
0: Yeah, there are. And that's why I say I don't want to get into the second part of this because I think something that I think is the very profound, from a temple standpoint, happens at the second half of this chapter.
4: But these blessings that he gives in verses 6 and 7 yeah. are not the blessings that he perceived that they were desiring. These are greater blessings. They desired that relationship yes. and that interaction. yes and he desired to bless them with their temple.
0: And, and, and that, yeah, I'm going to take care of these things and then bring you into, because that's what I do. If I'm going to have this relationship with you, I will heal you. I will bring you close to me and in that relationship, you will become different. You're going to be changed and transformed, and it,
4: he gives us blessings we don't. Oh, far beyond!
0: Yeah. Well, well, think about in the in the New Testament. How, how many all of the lepers, just, I, lepers? Just, I just don't want to be a leper anymore. <laughs> the, the blind guy just wants to be able to see, and he goes, "No, nah, I got something more." Yes, I'll take care of that part. But there is a greater blessing coming that you have any well, capacity to ten do.
4: Ten lepers, the nine asked to be the ten asked to be healed. Yeah, and he healed all ten of them. And then the nine went away and the one returned and he didn't ask to be made whole. Yeah. He didn't return and say, "Oh, you've healed me, now can you make me whole?" He said, "Thank you. I love you." All of those things did me though. And then God said or Jesus said, "Your faith has made you whole."
0: Yeah. He does the same thing with the woman in the issue of blood. Mm-hmm. She just wants the issue of blood to stop and he goes, Daughter, <laughs> your faith has made, you know, there's, this greater thing is about to occur, which I think is just what mercy does. Mercy says, and we'll finish with this, mercy says I'm going to give you what you need, not what you think you deserve.
5: Yes.
0: Yeah, and that, that is our challenge, I think, to be merciful, which means I'm going to give you more. Um, and so... Um, good discussion guys so homework then finish reading 3rd Nephi 17 uh, in, 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 anticipate, in, t- in anticipation and uh, we'll finish that Okay. and I leave that with you in, in Jesus name Amen, Amen. Amen. Matt, can we call on you for a closing prayer okay. thanks Alan, right, Alan but... our father in heaven we're grateful for
1: the gospel of Jesus Christ And we're grateful
0: to be here in Lesson 2, Brother Hickley. And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.